Well, boy, oh boy, what an episode that was. I hope everyone enjoyed that with Dave Acabetti. Go out and pick up his book about his late father, Fat Dave Gambino Capo. That is going to be an interesting read. I've already got my copy on the way. I'm looking forward to his other books, too, that he's got dropping here soon. Looking forward to what Dave has in store. I can just tell you by the talking to this man, folks, he is a visionary. Is a he's going to put some production. things together. Maybe I'll get a chance to work with him on some projects in the future. We've got a few things going here at Crime and Entertainment that could possibly lead to some shows in Miami, and hopefully we can get up with Dave and maybe do something on his father. That would be absolutely fantastic he's a great guy and whatever he puts his hands on folks i gotta believe it's gonna turn into something great welcome like back everyone to crime and entertainment i'm your, your host hollywood way you know those now, guys we hope everybody enjoyed our episode last know week the streets, very, they're very showing you people a different depth, way you can different do it. You type can of episode for crime and entertainment but a story that needed to be told nonetheless by michelle mcfee about her late entertainment and i hope doing something like that the doors are open mother's day episode just like they are the mob as i was telling and sharing stories with him i'm gonna call her coming up my time on the radio i never had to pay to get in clubs i never had to pay to you know, eat at certain restaurants, and it wasn't because people feared me or anything tragically. like that. It was just uh, you know, so entertainment. We everyone enjoyed that episode, but today, you know, the breaks we are going to be got when you were in the industry Miami's own is astronomical. Dave people don't realize it. You think now, of how much money there, you heard you would say the movie Scarface. You, were, you know, you might be thinking, "Hey, Hollywood, what Scarface got to do with David Bowie?" Well, as you a didn't matter have to pay of fact, he was an extra. You didn't have to pay to get in into that movie. You had free and that kind of sent passes for into the world. That's a lot of, of money you're saving there, Before folks. he got there, so, you know, he the was in the world industry, of the like mob. Dave said, his father, is about as close to being in the Dave mob as you can get without actually being in the Gambinos who ran stuff down in Miami. When I say good on the downloads, this man was a heavyweight. Like seventy thousand lot of weight. Show is really starting to pick up steam. You know, palling around. Followed us on the guys like Carlos Gambino and all of our. Interviews. I mean, if you're, if you're an, an audio listener, all of our hear, interviews are uh, on names thrown around with that genre. Crime and, and Dave had a few brushes with us the law himself coming up as a youngster. But comment he back. We comment in the comment section. We uh, talked to you guys different. about the episode, and, and kind that's of what he did. He got into the entertainment industry. He created Club TV. He's got a few books under his belt. One about his over dad. on the social media. Go like us on Facebook. Partners, you can go follow us at uh, the Instagram Mob King as with well. Crime and Entertainment guests all the major Pagio. social media. So he's got a very interesting well. story. We had a great you know, conversation. Like say or ask if you have just, a guest, you it was like, like to try talking to, to somebody I'd known for years. And we had really only had a few phone conversations together. And that's what lets you know. We'd be more than happy to try to have those kind of things, man. It's almost we're just having a blast here when it comes to doing interviews. Big things. I'm gonna get right into it here. This episode we've got of Crime Entertainment so with really, Miami's really own looking good Dave here. Uh, I'm having Betty. a blast doing Ladies this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Crime Entertainment. Now, what we have well here today, a very I special guest. man's got a very interesting story, very interesting father, and he has lived a heck of a today, life himself. We are out of Please time. Please welcome so to I am Crime and Entertainment. That was Dave Acovetti. Dave, how you doing, my friend? Until next doing time. Doing great. Thanks for having me on here. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> Me too, man. Uh, you know, like any story, when it's your first time here, we kind of like to start from the beginning. But before we do your beginning, I feel it's only right that we kind of go to the beginning with your father because your father was a major player in a topic that we've talked a lot about here on this show, you know, organized crime, the criminal underworld. We've talked to a lot of people, you know, former members of that life. Um, but your father was a heavyweight. And, you know, he's, he was what I've heard to the term a gangster's gangster. 
So before we get into you and your upbringing and what that was like with Big Dave as your father, let's kind of go a little bit, give our audience a little bit of background on him. Because when you and I spoke here right before we started recording, as you said, there's not a lot of info on your father, which to me lets me know right off the top that he knew what the hell he was doing. Because if I can't find a lot of shit on you, A, you didn't get caught, and B, you done it without it being known by the entire world. So I'm going to have to come to you for this. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I grew up reading about my father in uh, library books. I would skip school, go to the library, read about my dad because – uh, at that time, uh, the Valachi papers had come out. Mm-hmm. Joe Valachi was the first one to acknowledge there was a, such a thing as the mafia, uh, underworld, uh, organized crime syndicate. And um, and then another guy who was a friend of my father's who, who turned uh, informant, uh, a guy named Vincent Teresa, had come out. So because of those two guys, my dad wound up in a lot of books. But he started on the streets of Harlem as a 17 year old kid, uh, running crap games. Uh, he had come back from Pennsylvania, had been born in Brooklyn. His family moved to PA. My grandfather wanted to get him away from that, I guess. Um, but my dad wasn't having it. So he had an uncle in health kitchen and he came back from PA to Brooklyn and that's what he was doing. And, and he came under the, the eyes of this, uh, um, very well-known underworld figure at the time by the name of Johnny Roberlato. They called him Johnny Roberts. And he was one of Albert Anastasia, the Mad Hatter's uh, main henchman. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's put it this way. The guy owned funeral parlors all over New York. He also owned restaurants. He also was a Shylock. So he'd go pick up his money uh, in a hearse. Wow. So these guys paid quick. I mean, I, I bet, I bet they did. Money. That's kind of a, a real good way to make people make sure make people, you know, pay what they owe. Or you might wind up being one of the people in the hearse. <laughs> and he, he took a liking to my father, brought him under his wing. And uh, because of Johnny Robolato, my father was ushered in at the beginning of the underworld. And he was there. I don't know if he was an architect. No one. My daddy probably was one of them. Uh, but he was there before there was the five families and he wrote in with Albert Anastasia, Carlo Gambino, um, Johnny Robolato with Johnny Roberts, they called him the, uh, the mortician was his nickname. Um, and then when, um, I've Carlo read on over, him, I've read on him, the mortician, the guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that name rung a bell, but when you said mortician, what they called him, I've read on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, he had one of the biggest underworld funerals there was. And that was a big thing uh, that showed the government watched. Uh, I guess they still do to this day somewhat. Um, the, the funerals and how big they are, who comes to them. And that, that gives you a ranking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my father was right there with Carlo Gambino when it was the Anastasia family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they split. Um Albert had to go. He was a little too crazy, I guess. Well, he's and, very crazy uh, from what I've read. Just, you know, very off hinged, I guess maybe would be the right way to put it. And, uh, scary, scary guy for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, so I guess the powers that be decided, okay, Carlo's going to be taken over. And, but you know, you had holdouts that liked Albert as crazy as he may have been. He had a very loyal, um, team of guys, uh, with him, a lot of ha- uh, heldovers from uh, Murder Inc. As a matter of fact, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, because he was high-ranking member in that as well, uh, Murder, Inc., which that was one thing. We talked with um, who's uh, Chris Cipollini, who's an author, and he wrote a book on Lucky but also on Murder, Inc. I mean, those guys were in business for a long time, like over a decade. And you're talking about like regular businesses sometimes don't stay in business that long, but these people were legitimately killing people and were there for over a decade. I mean, that's, you know, that's longevity for sure in a business like that. <laughs> well, you got to realize that was just one of the many enterprises that Lucky Luciano helped found back then. You know, it was kind of like a, you know, a support and staffing service for whatever you may need. Uh, mm -hmm. But instead of doing corporate business, they were doing, you know, street business uh, <laughs> from the funeral parlors to the crematoriums to the guy that carried them there, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's amazing those times. I, it was almost like a wild, wild West of, of New York city uh, and the country even. But for me uh, growing up around my father, um, and learning about him to this day, I'm still learning Wade about things he's done. I mean, it just goes, it just blows the mind. Uh, so being in the entertainment business, which luckily I landed here instead of over there. Um, I have a lot to pull from, from the well, uh, but going back to my dad and how you said there's not a lot on him, he would cringe at any kind of notoriety. <laughs> the only people he wanted to acknowledge anything about him or anything he had succeeded at or done was his family, his friends, and, and not so much even his close family. I mean, I heard more stories, uh, incredible stories from his friends than I did from my father. He was very short spoken when it when it came to, you know, uh, and he never told me, of course, where bodies were buried or anything like that. Right. But uh, you know, there there were rumors that he had like twenty something notches in his gun belt, and uh, and uh, as times changed and the seventies and eighties came in, he was. Uh, they they told me back in the seventies that every member of organized crime has a number from the government, and that my dad's number was a single digit. Wow, they didn't know what it was, but he was in the top ten, obviously. But you got to put him with the of the ranks of the guy he was with. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all the, some of the most famous or infamous uh, members of organized crime to exist. I mean, Lucky Luciano, Albert Anastasia, uh, the mortician, uh, a little of the, one of the lesser known, uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. Neil Delacroche, um, Meyer Neil, Lansky. Neil is one, and my, well, Meyer Lansky also, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant man. Great with numbers, pretty much what was considered the mob's accountant for many years. But Neil Delacroche, in my opinion, is probably one of the most, I know he's not overlooked in that life, but I think for people that, you know, they're more glamorized by the story of Gotti and all that. Neil was a fucking gangster, like to the bone. Like it didn't get too much more gangster than sure. Neil Delacroche. You know, I, I've been privy be they true or not, you know, even killers and mobsters and criminals gossip, a lot of them. And, um, and I've always had nothing but respect for the majority of guys like Neo and Carlo and, and the ones that um, I call them smooth mm -hmm. operators, guys that you just, you got to kind of look twice. Like, are you serious? You know, Vincent the Chen, you know, wandering the streets, uh, the things that they did that 
you, you know, you, you and they're crazy like a fox mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, and some of the stories I heard about Neil, I mean, since shivers down my spine, how you can be such a Gentile loving looking grandpa. And at the same time, cold as they come. <laughs> yeah, you can flip that switch, brother. And that's, that's a lot. I'm he like you. Guy, he had a guy that he was going to wind up in uh, uh, trial with. And he was a friend of my father's. He was a hitman here in Miami. He was very volatile. Volatile gets you nowhere, nowhere I've noticed in that world. Uh, and being, um, you know, look at me, look at me. Uh, when you're a real one of those guys, the last thing you want is that. But some just don't give a damn who looks, who don't. They don't care. I mean, you know, the way I Jerry Chili was another one who comes to mind. I had the pleasure of growing up around him and then later uh, having a couple of um, incidents in which I had to sit down on the other side of the table and, 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 and speak with him. And those guys, they don't care if they live or die from that moment, from the minute they get up from that table. So there's not much you're going to intimidate them with. Um, so Neil was the one I, I don't think you could imitate. But going back to Tony Plate, he was like that, very feared. And he wound up um, did dead or disappeared. They still don't know how uh, before he ever went to trial uh, uh, with Neil. And, and Neil wasn't too upset about it because he thought the guy might make him look bad in trial. So he'd much rather, so the story goes, have just taken the trial on his own. Right. Uh, but, but Tony Plate was a guy, I got to see these guys as friends of my father. And so I guess they treated me different than maybe they would, you know, people that weren't family members or friends of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard for me sometimes to, to relate to the guys that you hear the stories about who, who takes ice picks out on guys in a right. regular plug them right in the middle of the, <laughs> the club. But that's how they are. I mean, especially Jerry. Um, he didn't give a rat's ass who you were. <laughs> and I think that's why he got, I think, deported from New York. Uh, because they just said, look, you're just too much even for New York, Jerry. Go down to Florida, hang out with Dave for a while. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, but even I was going to say, even like when we talked, you know, before we got on air, it, like you just said, some of those guys relish that light, but some of them loved it. I mean, it seems a lot of those OGs, like you mentioned, like Carlo Gambino wouldn't be caught dead on the cover of Time magazine. And, <laughs> and Gotti was, that was like his claim to fame. You know, he was happy about it. And it's just, you had your old school gangsters, you know, yeah, they did what they did. You know, it was, you know, it was part of the life and whatever. And then these, the the guys that kind of rolled in after that, their morals and the stuff was all different. And then we wondered how we got to the point where everybody was flipping and doing, you know, not wanting to do time and just turning on everybody. You had it. It wasn't very, like you said, Valachi was one. Uh, the other guy you mentioned was one. But it's like when all that stuff happened with Gotti and then Sammy did it, that just kind of, to me, opened the floodgates that everybody started Oh, absolutely. Doing well, you know, Sammy is probably one of the biggest of them all. Mm-hmm. historically he'll be remembered a hundred years after everyone else I think is forgotten. Yeah. And when he flipped and I had friends of my father, cause you know, he was with my father's people and um, I got called to this dinner one time that, you know, I was kind of curious how I got the invitation is that might've been my last dinner for some reason. <laughs> uh, and Sammy came up amongst these guys who are still, I would imagine, to the looks of things, uh, heavy hitters out there. 
And they asked me about Sammy and I said, listen, I don't condone from a personal point what Sammy did, but I understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't, and they're quick to, you know, to judge someone without walking in their shoes. Um, but he is still highly respected, even though he flipped. But yes, mm-hmm. it did set a tone, and, and, it, and it was like opening up a floodgate. Um, but going back to what I was going to say, I was on Larry uh, Mazza's show out in L.A. a, a little while back. <clears throat> and after we went for a, a, a glass of vino, and he, and he was talking about my father and how there's not a lot about him. Uh, and I said, you know, my father was one of the lucky ones. He died in his, in his sleep, in his own bed, a free man. I mean, he did 20 years in prison over his 80 years of life. But at the end of the day, he, he died in his own bed, a free man. And, and that is very, very rare. And Larry asked me, he goes, Dave, how many of those guys as you growing up around that have you seen that succeeded or did well? And I'm and I had to stop and think, and I'm like, you know what? To honestly answer that question, one or two maybe. Yeah. And and then the others that did were ones you never even heard about, mm-hmm. you know, from places like Buffalo or wherever. I mean, you never even heard of those guys. <clears throat> but them and their families, their children, they've all gone on to own businesses and legitimize and do things legally and you know, follow the contours of society. Uh, but Attention got you dead quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Joe Valachi, he, he he didn't last long after. Mm-hmm. Um, Vinny Teresa, he didn't last long after. And you didn't hear many of them. Yeah. Um, the guy, the, the canary that could sing, but he couldn't. Abe Rellis. Abe Rellis, yeah. I mean, th- those are the only guys that I ever heard that ever flipped back then. Because back then, those guys ruled with an iron this mm-hmm. i think a relis flipped right on out of damn window of that uh building that they were waiting in <laughs> he so. sure did and uh and the marshals were trying to save him i think they tried to grab him yeah. before he went out the window <laughs> yeah i buy that for sure <laughs> there was supposed to be armed guards at the door and everything and then he's just gonna try to escape and then slip and fall yeah I don't, yeah I can see it now. Don't worry, Abe. You've got nine of us here with you. (laughs) I think Costello probably passed out a few envelopes that was probably in those days, maybe two or three years salary for probably those cops. And they took a coffee break and a bathroom break at just the right time is probably what I'm guessing. (laughs) Nobody likes informants. Nobody, you know, it's, you know, even the informants usually don't like themselves. Yeah. Some of them are pushed into it though. I mean, some of them, you know, again, I don't judge people. I wasn't a criminal. I never ratted on anybody in my younger days that I may have done something or not done something with. Uh, to my knowledge, no one ever, you know, did me. But I tried to keep my nose clean. I tried to stay in the entertainment business. My father didn't want me anywhere near it. Right. Matter of fact, he told me when I was about 17, we had a bit of an argument. He goes, he goes, if you're smart, you'll change your name. And it really offended me. I said, no, I said, you changed your name. <laughs> but now I understand why you mm-hmm. have people that just hate you. Yeah. First of all, because of your ethnicity or, or your lack thereof being a full blooded, whatever, right. whatever people in general. Um, but then there's a lot of, uh, you know, when you have an Italian name growing up in the South, like I did, because I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up mm-hmm. in Florida. Uh, my dad ran Florida pretty much for those guys up in Brooklyn. Uh, he owned a restaurant down here. And uh, luckily, uh, 
he came out when I was 14. Uh, as he was coming out of prison, I was getting thrown behind bars. At 14, reading all the books about my father, I decided that I was going to emulate it. I was going to be like my dad. So I went out and uh, I started doing a lot of illegal things as a 14-year-old. You'd be amazed what you could get away with in the 70s. Um, one of them was a credit card thing. I had Larry the Garbage Man, and I'd give him a dollar for every receipt for credit card uh, slips from the restaurants, from the garbage dumpsters. So I had like a hundred of them coming in a week. And back then you could just order up anything. Mm -hmm. And if the number wasn't in a book, they sent it out. <laughs> so I, I went to town. I mean, I ordered, uh, you know, pinball machines, Atari. I was the first kid on the block with an Atari game, uh, Omaha steaks, a dozen roses for my mom every week, long stem ones. Um, <laughs> I was balling for a minute, but then I ventured out and decided I was going to impersonate an IRS agent. Oh, and, and I was doing it over the phone and I have always had this acting bug so I could change my voice and sound like an older man, a Spanish refugee. And over the phone, you want to know the difference, mm -hmm. you know, a woman. Um, so they thought they were talking to these IRS offices <laughs> and I was collecting five, 10 grand a week. And I was doing that. Uh, and, and, and to me, I, I was more shocked that I was able to do it. It became like, um, uh, um, an adrenaline, uh, an adrenaline rush every yeah. time I was doing something until I got caught. Yeah. And then it and stops we, abruptly. <laughs> oh, and what happened with me, uh, is they thought that it was a ring of criminals and my dad had just come out of prison. He didn't know anything about this. My mother didn't know anything about it. My partner was my little sister. I had to pay her to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> um, uh, I remember the first time I came home from the bank and I had, uh, 2000 something dollars and I had a ceiling fan in my room and I walked in the room and I looking at it, I couldn't believe it myself. And I threw the money up in the air and the ceiling fan <laughs> blew all these hundreds all around. And my sister opened the door at that moment and saw all the money and she knew, you know, I didn't have that kind of money. And she goes, I'm telling mom. So I grabbed her. I yanked her in the room. I closed the door and I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to take you and get you some ice cream. Just keep your mouth shut. And she's like, ice cream. Because I want a hundred dollar bill. Well, then I won't say nothing. So then she became my partner. But eventually, like I said, they, so she they was extorting you right off the rip too. there. She was starting pretty early too, shaking you down. Yeah. <laughs> She was 10, I was 14, uh, but they brought in a task force to catch this ring and uh, they had um, secret service agents and uh, social security agents from Atlanta flown in, Metro Dade, Miami, Miami Beach. And to make a long story short, I left, the, I would meet these people at the bank and collect cash from them. And um, it was like a week before my 15th birthday, right before uh, around Christmas time. And uh, I was leaving and the whole SWAT team came down on me. I mean, yeah, they had a helicopter. There was a taxi cab. I was trying to get to the taxi cab. I figured I'd give them $100. I'd get out of there. Uh, so when they arrested me, they the, the head of the crew goes, get the cab driver. Get the cab driver. And they went over and yanked this guy right through the window of his cab. And he goes, I'm a cop. And he pulled out his badge. And he had a badge underneath. So had I made it to the taxi. You were screwed anyway. I was screwed anyway. So then they took me to youth hall. Now I'm hearing these iron doors clang behind me. So, and this had gone on for about a good year. I had a really good run for a while. I was on Miami beach. It was like my own little thing. And, um, 
Uh, and then I heard the Iron Doors clanging behind me. And then all these big dudes from Overtown, Liberty City, some of the worst neighborhoods of South Florida were like, hey, you'd be looking good there, 14-year-old <laughs> Italian boy with a southern accent. And I'm like, I'm dead. You know, I'm dead. So the next morning, the uh, guard kicked open my door. He goes, you're famous, kid. And I had made the front page of the Miami Herald. Wow. IRS kid. Um, you know, 14 year old impersonates IRS agent. And in uh, Utah, in Dade County, uh, for Utah, it's an octagon. So all those same dudes that were talking about what they were going to do to me the night before are now reading the newspaper. And, and they're all like, nobody touch fat boy. Fat boy's with me now. <laughs> hey, I got you. I got you. When we get out of here. We're going to do some business. So, <laughs> so I didn't have, you know, too much to worry about. So, but it, it was, it was surreal. But that taught me definitely that. I wasn't going to be following <laughs> my father's footsteps because I wasn't with it. Yeah, because he was coming out of prison at that time, and then you were going in. So y'all just kind of passed each other, but through through them uh, them clinging gates, so to speak. Yeah, he sent his uh, some friends down to help me through that. Uh, he he got me an attorney, Alice Rubin, which was one of the most famous attorneys at the time. A kid, a friend I rode to school. He wasn't really my friend. We didn't get along. But I rode the school bus with him, and I knew him. He lived down the street. It was named Ronnie Zamora. And Ronnie Zamora had killed his 80-year-old neighbor. She caught him burglarizing his home. He was 15, same age as me at the time, and, or a year older. And, um, and when she, he found her gun when she caught him, and he shot her. Oh. And she knew him. And as she's dying, she's like, Ronnie, get, pour me a scotch. And he went over, he poured, and this is all true stuff. He poured her a scotch. She drank the scotch. She died. And he took the money and stuff and the gun and took his friends. They went to Disney World. Um, but when he got back from Disney World, Miami Beach police had figured out what went on. And they caught him. They arrested him for murder. And Ellis Rubin was his attorney who um, said that because of TV shows of the day, Beretta, uh, you know, Colombo, all these crime shows that uh, Ronnie didn't know right from wrong. And it was these TV shows fault. So it was a really big, famous. And that had all happened just a few months before I got arrested um, and seeing, you know, that guy, he went away for 40 years because mm. you know, I convicted him. He went away for 40 years. So I look back over my life now and how I was able to, you know, write books, be on movie sets, work in radio. Um I could have been sitting where he was sitting all that time had I had I stayed down the road. But yeah, my father, him and my mother both made sure that I uh, didn't get too wrapped up in that. And then, of course, after getting in trouble and hearing that that jail door closed and having to go through all the 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 stuff that goes with that. Oh um, yeah, that's that can change a lot of thought process. Uh, you know, if you're if that's kind of the life you want, you know, because. Like you said, you got away with it for a year. Things are good. You're balling. You got the Atari. You're sending your mom to roses. And there's no higher feeling than you have when you're doing something like that and you're getting away with it. But then that's immediately followed by the lowest feeling you can imagine when you don't get away with it anymore. Yeah, the guy that came up to me, you know, I had never had a gun pulled on me in my life till that day. And um, I had seen a car following me when I left the bank. And he looked like Magnum P.I. He was in like a Ford LeBaron. And back, this is 78, 1978. And they all drove LeBarons and shit, you know, cars like that. Yeah. Uh, so I knew it was a detective. That's why I was trying to get to the taxi. 
But when I came through the two buildings, he was out of the car and he was like six foot four, chrome plated 45. He stuck it right between my, my eyes and goes, hit the ground, cocksucker. <laughs> and then I looked down the alley where I just came and there's guys coming with shotguns and they're stepping on my head and they got the guns on me. And finally, after they grabbed the cab driver, they, the guy looked down at me and goes, how old are you, kid? And this is 1978. And I go 14 and I was crying. And, and, and I mean, you know, it was, it was, I would definitely say dramatic. I mean, I, every time I think about it, I, you know, but my father said, son, he goes, you make me nervous. He goes, what if I had just gone to the market that day? I was driving down Washington Avenue. I happened to see you walking and I go, son, get in the car. I'm going to give you a ride home. He goes, they would have never believed that I wasn't behind all that. Oh, yeah. He goes, you make me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, Well, you obviously turned it around after that because, like I said, you started with films and, and radio, and you've got a lot of ventures. But before we get into that, there's one thing that I did want to go back to in your childhood. You've kind of got an interesting relationship slash story with one of the greatest singers to ever live by the name of Frank Sinatra. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and he's probably one of the most impressive people I've ever shook hands with and had the honor of talking to and being around in my life. Um, yeah. What happened was my father was really good friends with him. Um, Jerry, um, excuse me, uh, Jelly Rizzo, mm -hmm. uh, who was Sinatra's right hand man for the second half of his life. Right. My father was one of his closest friends. Um, and how they met was because of my mother. Right. Now my mother, her life and the people she knew are just as fascinating as my father's. And soon I'll have hopefully an audio book in her own words out. Talk, telling the story instead of me telling it much better coming from the horse's mouth. Always. Right. Uh, she had been dating uh, Frankie Carbo mm -hmm. uh, before she met my father. They, she met him in Baltimore. And Frankie Carbo was the king of the boxing underworld. He had mm -hmm. been a number one hitman for Murder, Inc. But then he had progressed and became uh, a boxing promoter and, and, and so on. Uh, but he didn't run afoul of the law. And he was hiding out at one point. And uh, while he was hiding out, it's when my mother met my dad. And a side note to that is he had come out of hiding because my mother was at the horse track all the time. And he had gone to the horse track looking for my mother. And that's when the feds picked up his tail and, and Frankie Carbo went to prison. And she never saw Frankie Carbo again after that. He actually died right down the street from where we were living on Miami Beach wow. at St. Francis Hospital like 40-something years later. But when they told Frankie that my mother was dating my father, he was like, oh, they deserve each other. Uh, and then I was born a year later. Uh, but but her and my dad had a little bit of an argument. I don't know what happened. She had met Frank Sinatra in Miami Beach at the Fountain Blue, and he'd invited her to Vegas. So she went. So she was out in Las Vegas for two weeks with the Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, um, Milton Berle, I mean, Joe Fischetti. Uh, the list goes on and on uh, the, of the guys that were there uh, in Vegas. Um so my Frank Sinatra had asked my mom, he said, uh, where do you hang out in Manhattan? Because she told him she lived in Manhattan. And she goes, at Jellies. So um, 
when she came back to New York, she wound up getting back together with my father. I'm sure she didn't tell him about <laughs> who her boyfriend was. So yeah. Sinatra comes popping into Jilly's one day and looking for my mother. And my dad is like an owner at Jilly's. And uh, the next thing you know, my mother got a phone call that Frank Sinatra was in the back with my father, that he'd come in looking for her. And they became best friends. And I was born not not more than a year later. Um, and my father, you know, he uh, he had other families. He, we weren't his only family. He right. had he had a home in Connecticut. He had another uh, home in another part of the country. Uh, so he he uh, was very loved. Let's say. Um, so at the time, Sinatra, for whatever reason, I'm not sure really why, offered to adopt me. And uh, my father turned him down. And I said to my dad later, I said, hey, why'd you turn him down? <laughs> Why did you let him adopt me? And he's like, because uh, you would have never talked to me again. And he goes, besides, your mother would never have gone for it. And my mother would have never gone for it. So, yeah, I could have uh, almost got adopted by old Blue Eyes himself. You know? Wow, uh, Mickey. <laughs> I got to meet him when I was 14. Um, like I said, Jilly Rizzo and my dad were lifelong friends with him. So uh, one of the, the first time I met him was at the Fountain Blue Hilton in Miami Beach. And I remember we were waiting at the back and these uh, limousines were parked there and the double door elevators opened and it looked like a Secret Service contingent came Sinatra and Jilly. And my dad was in prison at the time, but Jilly arranged it. And when we he, they came walking by me, Jilly goes, uh, that's Dave's son, Dave Jr., and there was Sinatra. It was like looking up at God. And he goes, how you doing, kid? And he reached down and he shook my hand and he had a diamond the size of a walnut on his pinky finger. <laughs> and I was like 13 at this time. I was like, how can I get that diamond off that thing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I go, I'm, I'm going, nice to meet you, Mr. Sinatra, because I had read in the books. He didn't like people he didn't know calling him Frank or right. Frankie. You know, you know some he senator. Old, he was old school, him. yeah. The old school respect and going back to what you said initially and that's what they were you know of him of course different he was a performer and entertainer they want the attention but those other guys they don't they you know, back then yeah and and that's what's changed if you look from the mid 80s on when the new guard came in there you know my dad was an old man at that time yeah and he didn't want to deal with that he had his own businesses i mean him and sinatra and jilly had the first Playboy Club in, in, in Manhattan back in the day. Hmm. My mom said, yeah, they had some club where the girls want, wore these little bunny tails. And I go, the Playboy <laughs> Club? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, um, but you know, I look at Frank Sinatra Jr. and his tragic, you know, mm -hmm. life and, and the things he went through. So I'm happy that I wasn't, to yeah. be honest with you. I wouldn't know who I was uh, really, at least this way, I know mm -hmm. who I am, you know, better, yeah. worse, moles and all, uh, you know, I know who I am. So it, grass isn't always greener just because right. someone's famous or in has a, a lot of money. In a crazy interview I had the other day, I actually interviewed a psychic and he was talking about like his belief system that in a way we kind of get to pick you know, where we want to go as a soul before we enter that body. Now I'm not sure if I believe all everything he was saying a hundred percent, but I was kind of like, well, if everybody got to pick, you know, how much information do you know? Because 
You're not going to go into a life that's going to lead you down, you know, a, a series of drug addictions or, you know, poverty. You'd pick, yeah, th- th- those people right there are millionaires. I'll go there. And the way he broke it down was kind of interesting. But, you know, you pick, just say if you were able to pick where you want to go and your p- parents have money, I mean, what comes along with money? Biggie Smalls wrote a song about it back in the day. The more money you make, the more problems you get. I mean, rich people have problems too. I mean, hell, look yeah. at what Johnny Depp's going through right now. You know, in the court every damn day with this broad he was with. You know, just because you got a lot of money don't mean you ain't got problems. And you could tell not to take sides, but I grew up with Johnny Depp. I used to see him all the time in, uh, in the Button South where me and Ciro DiPaggio, who, who you know as well, mm-hmm. used to, we grew up together in that club. It was like the rock and roll mecca of its day. Right. And Johnny Depp used to perform there. But you can see... Uh, uh, that Bond girl sitting there with that look on her face and just that look, man, I feel for that, bro. I feel for Johnny, man. And then he was telling, I think Renona Wire, uh, how he, she cut his finger off, part of yeah. his finger off. And he was, you could tell mentally, I mean, you know, there, there are men that are abused, you know, yeah. you, you think, hey, how can a five foot two, girl you know beat up on a six foot 300 pound guy well it happens i mean i've experienced myself yeah um so yeah i mean hell it's usually the smaller ones that are the the craziest in my opinion (laughs) like chihuahuas yeah i told (laughs) i was talking to my wife the other day i said if that man you know as rich as he was could probably go pull about anybody he wanted at the end of the day i said if he sat through her cutting his finger off having these affairs they're fighting the drugs and all that. I said, I can only think of one reason that'll keep a man around. The sex has just got to be off the damn charts is the only thing I can figure. Cause other than that, well, he's got to read to be all ass. <laughs> the crazy, the crazier they are. I found the better they are in bed. I hate to say it, brother. You but said you it, buddy. Say, That's it. <laughs> is your hide insanity worth more? Or <laughs> what? Some guys, yes. Some guys don't <laughs> catch me on the right day. You know, uh, but yeah, I mean, and I've had some very beautiful women in my life inside and out there, you know, but some of the tempers and that's why my baby's mama, my ex-wife and I, as much as we still love each other to this day, uh, she's on one side of the planet. And I'm on the other because our temper, she's Moroccan French. I'm Italian Irish. I mean, and when we clashed, you know, um, and because of my daughter, especially um, I wasn't there to see my daughter grow up from her uh, young childhood days on recently we've become close again, but um, better that than her seeing me and her mom, you know, going at it all the time, verbally, physically. And it worked out. You know, my daughter grew up in Europe. She she's in finance and and Switzerland. Now she speaks three languages. She comes to Miami, sees me. Wow. And then gets back home to Europe. So, and what's ironic, Wade, is my father's family tree came from where my daughter lives now and where she was born. She was born over there. Huh. So it's like the Ecovetti family. Full circle. Absolutely. Except for that mountain. You could take a trolley car over the mountain and have lunch in France and go over the mountain and have dinner in Italy. Wow. And, and that's where my the Icavetis came for 150 something years ago they came from that region and i mean my daughter's with a few hundred miles of actually being full circle wow um, so show you how life is that's crazy
Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on that portion with Sinatra there, but back, you know, you're coming out of this little arrest here. You, you kind of, I think then was that when you kind of realized you want to go on the straight and narrow because you got a lot of stuff. And if people haven't noticed that picture over your shoulder there, obviously, you know, most everybody's going to recognize that movie, but what they may yeah. not know is that you were actually in that movie. Yeah, for about three seconds. Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I wasn't going to say that, but it doesn't matter. You were in there. Yeah. yeah, I was there. I worked on it for two weeks. And I'll tell you, that movie, just those two weeks is a book all itself, Wade. One day I got to sit down and just write, being an extra, behind the scenes, the fly on the wall, and watching what went on. Because that movie was like, even to this day, one of the biggest movies to ever come out of Hollywood. Um, but it wasn't meant to be shot. The Cuban population didn't want that, and they were going to blow that movie up with all them Italian guys playing Cuban guys with it. <laughs> and the FBI was undercover on the set of that movie, protecting Pacino and protecting the sets because there had been threats. I mean, violent threats. And back then, you know, and they're still not, but the Cuban community is nobody to have pissed off at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I'm on the set at the Fountain Blue Hilton, and there's all these guys in bathing suits, which are actually FBI agents and so forth. There's Al Pacino in his Tony Montana mode. And it, it, I found one thing happened that I always found interesting, and you maybe got a thought on it. Uh, your listeners have a thought on it. But he had Pacino, this guy, this big heavyset guy that would follow him around with a umbrella and a lounge chair. And every now and then... Pacino would snap and go like that, and that dude would run over, he'd set the chair down, and he would hold the umbrella up, and then Tony Montana would go over and sit down in the chair, and he'd get up, he'd go do his scene, and well, at one point, he snapped, and dude didn't get over there fast enough with the chair. Now, there's 300 people, cops, everybody there, reporters, and Pacino just went off on this guy. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, this Pacino's one of my idols, man. I mean, you know, I saw The Godfather as a kid, and, then, you know, he was an idol. I go, why was he like that to this guy? You know, because obviously if the guy's having to hold an umbrella in the chair for people, he must not, you know. Yeah, he ain't, he ain't high up the food chain for sure. <laughs> right. Either that or he really liked service, you know, doing service <laughs> work. <laughs> so, so, uh, but Pacino went off on him and he really cursed this guy out. But I'll tell you what, every time he snapped his finger after that, dude was on point after that. Um, but I always wondered, you know, I said, damn, you know, you're Al Pacino. Why did he do that? And, and then when I tell people that, the conclusion is that he was in his Tony Montana mode. Yeah. Um, what a me method acting? Is that kind of the term for that where they don't really yeah. come out of that character? Yes. And I think he was definitely in character. But my mom saw him on Washington Avenue where they had the chainsaw scene. I was over there when they shot that. And she tells the story how he was driving by with uh, Manolo and the boys in the mm -hmm. convertible. And she waved at him and he smiled and winked at her. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so now she's got Pacino on her list. <laughs> I, what's funny is I actually spoke with Stephen Bauer earlier today. I'm supposedly trying to line up a chance for him to get on the show. He played, you know, Manolo, awesome. so that would be great to have him on there. That's that would yeah. be cool. That's kind of a little segue Scarface promo there, uh, maybe for crime and entertainment. But uh, I mean, what a, like, 
Go ahead. He's Stephen Bauer. You mentioned him. He's like a mini icon because yeah. he's one of the biggest things to come out of Miami. Oh, yeah. And Miami is, I consider my hometown, my town, all of Florida, really, but for sure Miami. And and he is a, he's an icon all his own here in Miami with everyone in South Florida. Yeah, I mean, and he's done a lot of great stuff in the movies. I mean, you know, I know it probably wasn't the greatest movie, but it was like when I was growing up, skateboarding was really popular. It was probably at the height of his popularity, and he'd done that movie Gleam in the Cube. Um, Then later on, he was in, uh, I think it was Balsa Balsas, I believe, where he played Vito Genovese, and then later went to do a lot of work in Ray Donovan. I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff, but just, you know, he's just one of those guys that when you see in a movie or a role, you know it's going to be, you know, something you need to watch. Yeah, I, I, I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he was in Capasa USA too, and that was a big Spanish series that started here in Miami. So wow. you had Miami, you had Capasa USA, you had um, Scarface. You had Miami Vice, Scarface, Capasa USA. Those were like the flagship uh, entertainment programs coming besides Miami sound machine. Right. <laughs> well, so, I mean, and down there right after that, you know, you had Miami vice coming. Miami had to be a cool place to live during that. Well, I, I'll take that back. It had to be, it had to have a certain vibe to it. But at the same time, when you mix in Miami vice, that was based off a lot of true shit. When you had all the Absolutely. cocaine cowboys going on down there. So I say cool watching it on TV. Maybe not cool as living there. <laughs> Let me retract that because that them boys down there was not playing in the cocaine no. cowboy era, brother. Let me tell you. Yeah. No, I mean, it was nothing. Uh, we lived in Miami Beach, and uh, it was nothing to come out your front door and see uh, puddles of blood and bandages from the night before where somebody had got shot in pieces right in front of your home or down the street. I mean, they, they didn't care. I mean, they would, you know, you hear about mall shootings and so forth now, but shoot, we had them happening every day down here at the mall because there was guys pulling up, uh, hopping out with AK-47s and and just blasting whoever was in their their aim and anyone that was there uh, too bad. You know, they were collateral damage. But what you see is real. I mean, I was around it. I saw it. I had friends that were involved in it. I've heard incredible stories. I've got some incredible movies uh, based on some of them. Um, and and it's a lifetime of that kind of stuff um, living in South Florida. You know, if you get a little further West Palm and then further North, it's not so much. Right. But in that, that West Palm, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, the Keys, even to this day, it's still pretty crazy and we got so many people moving in it's it's a lot more populated now than it was back then but for example i had a guy i was in the radio um after i got out of jail (laughs) i went into the radio's uh business and i got lucky i was in broadcasting and and then i did some sales and so forth but one of my customers that was sponsoring one of the radio shows i was doing was um colombian guy and he owned a restaurant right on 21st in washington avenue And, you know, of course, he never said it was him, but you could tell he was telling me things that only someone would know at that time. Right. And he said what they would do is back then they would coordinate with um, those little pickup trucks Mm -hmm. that have pickup trucks out in the Everglades at a certain time. And we have dirt roads that go for miles and miles out there. And they would have that those pickup trucks waiting and these planes would come in. These pickup trucks would take off 
down these dirt roads and the planes would swoop down and they would throw the the kilos, the bales, kilos, whatever, right out of the plane, right into the back of the pickup truck as they're moving. The planes would never even land. Wow. They would just swoop in, drop their loads in those trucks. If they missed the truck, they stopped to pick it up, no big deal. And then the planes back to wherever they came from. Um, That's insane. And, and I had a buddy of mine that he would sell gold chains. He looked like Clint Eastwood. He was kind of like a nerdy Clint Eastwood kind of guy, uh, but crazy, pretty crazy risk taker anyway. But he would go down into the streets. And, and we were on Time Magazine. You talk about Time Magazine as the murder capital of the world mm-hmm. in 1980. Yeah, in Somewhere in there. And he would go down into the streets of Miami and he would hustle these gold chains. And he would always pretend like he was a deaf mute and he would even carry cards. So, you know, he never lied to him. He never <laughs> said they're not gold because he couldn't speak. <laughs> he would just say, I'm selling these chains. <laughs> he goes, I'm selling these chains. The card would say, I'm a deaf person selling chains for my, you know, whatever. Um, so he's down there, he's doing it. And he sees this big burly Mexican looking guy with a briefcase cutting in the back of one of the buildings so he figures he's one of the office people so he'll follow him in and there he'll pitch him he'll sell a couple of chains so he sees the guy go down the aisle and as he turns down the aisle one of the offices kind of glances back at him and he followed him down there and when he turned in the door the briefcase was open the guy was sitting there with like his gun out another guy was sitting at the table and there was like four kilos <laughs> he had just walked in <laughs> And the guy's like sitting there holding the gun. I go, what did you do? He goes, I was shaking like a leaf, babe. I was. <laughs> the guy looked at the car and he goes, get out of here. Get out of here. He said, you know, but he goes, Dave, I thought I was dead. You know, uh, I guess the, it's horrible to say, cause I'm not trying to make fun of that, but I guess you can say, you're not going to say anything. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. You know, I mean, that saved his life. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. That gig saved his life for sure. Right there. But that's just one example of how things happen down here. They happen so quickly, so fast. You just, I mean, I guess anywhere. Right. Right. But, Especially growing up down here, I've had a lot of friends that did not make it, you know. No, I can believe it, man. That's a tough spot. And funny, you were mentioning radio. I worked in radio myself for about two years right after I got out of high school. I had a surgery that kept me from continuing my college right after high school where I was becoming a welder. And during that time, I was working for a radio station. And let me tell you. If you're in the right market, right radio station, those guys get a ton of free shit. I don't think I paid to eat anywhere for like a year and a half. I mean, we would get books of coupons for like Hardee's or restaurants, local restaurants. Now, granted, I grew up in a smaller town, so there wasn't a whole lot of restaurants to choose from, but it was still, it's not a buy one, get one. It's just free. Like you roll up, you give them the coupon and it's a free combo and you would get into clubs for free. Luckily, I wasn't even 18 at the time, but because I worked with the radio station, every club assumed I was 18 because I would go there sometimes and help some of the DJs set up. So Ooh, they yeah. knew me. Um, my sister was a, a known person in the club. She partied a little bit. So they knew me as you know her little brother that worked with the radio station. So I never nice. got carded to get in these clubs. And I never also, when you're going in and you're never getting carded, then they don't know you're not 21. So I was able to partake <laughs> in some drinking activity. But like I would go, they would give us these gold coupons for Cracker Barrel. 
maybe not the most high class restaurant, but like I said, we didn't have a lot around the area. So we would take and go to the, they give us like 40 of them, right? They were supposed to give them away on the air and they expired like at the end of February. And this is like the second week in February. I'm like, hell, I can't eat here 40 times. I mean, you know, what am I going to do? And so I went home and I took them all and I put a one in front of the two and made them inspire in December. Well, right along that time, we had some small theaters set up, you know, one, two screen theaters have been there for years where we had just got this big, like 15 screen set up swamp Fox. I think it was a, I don't know, a regal or what it was, but it put all the other ones out of business. Well, we were doing all their like promotions. So we would get into the movies for free. So when I was in the Dayton game back then, you know, I'd grab a girl, we'd go to Cracker Bra, hand him like the gold coupon, didn't have to pay anything. Then we'd leave, Don't we'd go to the movies, walk right into the movies, wouldn't have to pay. You know, so I was like, that's like a, a Walmart version of probably what them good fellas felt like, you know, York walking in all these clubs no. and not having to pay. The entertainment business, and I say it all the time, man, it's as close to being in the mob as you can get. Yes, it is. Seriously. <laughs> Without being in the mob. <laughs> I know people that was getting free cars. They would do promos for certain car dealerships. The yeah, guy would absolutely. give them a car to drive. F- furniture stores would furnish their apartments. I mean, you know, it was, it was well, insane. The breaks that these guys got. That's a great, you're, you're probably a little young to remember, but do you remember when MTV first came out? Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, so this is Club TV. Club TV is going to be, well, it is. I've done Club TV over 30 years now. Right. And um, I've had everything free you can imagine, private jets to Key West, dinners out the yin-yang. I've met every kind of female you could possibly imagine just from Club TV. Right. Um, Tony Roma's script. I used to get $1,000 a week of that. I mean, yeah, it's like it's better than being one of those guys because it's legal. Right. Yeah, and exactly. It, and it's productive. So with club TV on and off now for the past 30 years, I've been doing it as a program where I would buy late night time slots and put my own programming in there. Uh, so whatever I make was mine after I paid everybody in our taxes and whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes it would just be script. But you'd have rental cars or trips to Disney World or hotel stays at uh, Bimini, cruises. One time I literally had a teletype machine print out like 300 cruises mm-hmm. for two. And I just went through the crowd handing them out. I yeah. mean, it's mind boggling. But that's why with Club TV now, we're going to turn it into a 24-hour channel. And you'll be able to go there and see like MTV was back in the day. Right. But instead of it just being music videos, it's going to be club videos and performances. And we're going to take you to clubs that you can't even go to that don't exist anymore wow. that we only have the footage from. Wow. Uh, with iconic performances, Sugar Hill Gang, Chuck Berry, um, Lady Gaga, when she start, started out. I have Drake when he was first coming out out of South Florida down here doing shout outs for club TV. Wow. Um, so for that very reason right there. Cause you can always eat. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. Like you said, it was crazy. We would get these coupons for places and you know, nobody knew that the restaurant would just say, yeah, you, you know, make some coupons, draw it up, give them out. Well, they might make two or three. Well, if I'm in there at nighttime, I'm running a night race. I grab one of them. I go down to the fucking copy machine at the end of the street and I'm printing <laughs> off 20 of them and those are mine. So I'm not paying right. to eat at that restaurant for the next six months. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just uh, how it was. I mean, it was, 
Huh? It's traded anyway, so they just give them an extra ad. And yeah. If they got the paper, okay, no problem. We'll give you another ad at three. Oh yeah, they, they never, they never question it. Not one time. Sometimes I'd have to tell somebody else, like, all right, well, you got to give it to them this week. I've been in here throwing four Sundays in a row watching football. You know, eating for free. You got to give it to them this week. They're gonna look at me and think, well, how, how many does this guy have? <laughs> and I think that's probably what saved my life in a lot of ways and kept me from ever being in prison. I mean, I was in jail numerous times <laughs> my only record is uh conviction is, is trespassing and a disorderly conduct wow. but it could have been a lot a lot worse but the entertainment business uh and, and realizing it's better than the criminal business oh, i yeah. mean you don't have to worry about that and if you do it right it's just just as much money there's just as much whatever you may get thrill seeking from being in that life probably uh, more because Kind of like what we've talked about earlier, that's something to where you're, it's better to flaunt yourself, you know, to, Hey, this is what I can do. I can do where, as opposed to if you're on the other side of the table, if you're in that criminal underworld, it takes a lot of skill to be able to be great at something and still fear to get stuff done, but at the same time, hide in the shadows. And you know, that's a lot of times people can't hide in the shadows. They have to come out and when they come out, they're vulnerable to the feds and the government and whoever else. Where in well, the industry you're talking about, that's not the case. You can be front and center, and that's better for you. Well, there are no more shadows, Wade. Right. I mean, in the 70s and the 80s, you could bury a body in the Everglades and nobody would know. Mm-hmm. Now they know where you're going before you buy the shovel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I seen, matter of fact, the paper down here today or one of the apps on my phone said now every square inch of Charleston or North Charleston was covered by cameras. So I'm just like, you can't do anything nowadays without getting caught by the time you get back. But you, you take a body somewhere and bury it. By the time you get back home, the cops are waiting for you. I mean, it's just, it's, you don't have any error to do anything like that nowadays. So that's why I tell people, anybody that's still thinking, oh, I can do it like they did it back then, you're crazy. That's not, that's not yeah. happening. Not, yeah. not Cause no now way. they have all they need just on your data and they just come back a month later. All right, let's go pick up Sammy. You oh, yeah. know, things yep. are kind of slow around the, the jailhouse. Let's, we got some vacancies. So let's yep. get that Sammy guy and that Bobby guy. And who's the other ones? We just, you know, <laughs> and they just document it. They don't even have to follow you anymore. They sit in the in the office drinking coffee and they watch you on a map where you're at. Oh, he's at Sarah's house now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your phone, man, tells them exactly where you're at, what you look up, anything you Google, anything you search. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's crazy. And you mentioned earlier, uh, Ciro DiPaggio, who's doing his thing down there in Miami right now. He's got the Mob King. He's been on the show uh, a few months ago. You and him actually teamed up on a project on your dad, correct? Silent Partners? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he has the pilot shot. We had some really great actors, Joe D'Onofrio, um, Gary Pastor, mm-hmm. um, lots of those guys that were in other other projects on board and um, he's shopping it around now. People don't understand though, you know, unless you're really a major Hollywood player uh, with all that goes with that, you could shoot a pilot and it could sit for a long time until you get the right deal. Oh yeah. And when you're from the street and a producer, you don't just take any deal. Right. Nothing you know, blows up your skirt that easily anymore. It's got to, and Ciro's that type of guy, you know, it's either going to be done right or not at all. Right. So yeah, we're looking forward to that deal coming around and, 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 and out. And then he also, with his mob King, he just made a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a series initially. 
and um, he, he put me in there. I'm in there for uh, one of the scenes. And um, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to see someone who had as much negative in his life do so well now. Right. And that's you know, why it was great to, it was great to have him on the show to, yeah. Could he, would he have wanted to change some things and not probably go away for as long as he did? Absolutely. But it's what you do when you have the chance to make it right is what counts. You know, he did what he did, whatever, you know, we don't need to get into that, but you know, when he come out, he's done everything he could to right that wrong and, and try to yeah. leave a legacy for his family. And like you said, you guys have been friends for many a year and he puts you guys in the in the episodes and the shows and yeah. I mean that's just that's awesome man he's a he's a top notch guy. No, he really is, and he's trying really hard, and I, I I'm so happy to see him happy and succeeding, and it's an honor to be you know to to be here to see that and and be a part of it. Um, yeah, I, it's a good it's a good time in my life because I remember being a young man and me and him just dreaming of the things that we're doing now. Right. And, uh, and both of us got here doing it the right way. Maybe one or two of us went off course here or there, uh, <laughs> but we did it the right way. Nobody's harmed. There's nothing in my closet that I'm worried about coming out. There's no skeletons. You know, I like the guy I see in the mirror. Uh, and that's important. I know a lot of people that they have success, but they're not happy with who they see in the mirror and what's right. important. Yeah, if you if you have to put on a fake facade or a whole fake persona to be something you're really not day in and day out, what is that really doing for you? You know, if you're not able to relax and be you, you know, I've, I've talked with a few wrestlers and stuff in the business, you know, and that's what they say when they get that gimmick that's as close to them as they can possibly get. That's when they're the most comfortable because they don't right. have to they don't have to try to be something they're not. We actually had Charles Wright who played the Godfather uh, gimmick. Well, he played a, a multiple gimmicks. He was like Papa Shango, and then he was like Kama and some other stuff. But when he got that Godfather gimmick where he would come out with his hose and he would offer the hose to whoever he was wrestling, they was like, all right, you can take these hose or I can beat you down in this ring. You know, it was kind of a funny thing that the crowd got a <laughs> kick out of, but he was like, he said, that was me, brother. He said, I own strip clubs. He said, I ran strip clubs. He said, a lot of right. the places we went to, were my girls. He said, I would tell them to come out there. And he's like, I would want to go on first, start the show, get a good laugh. And he's like, get my paycheck. And then I'm out. And then I'm back in the club for the rest of the night. You know, it, it's funny. You hit it right on the head. That is what I'm so happy about. in, in my point in, this, in life right now is I am who I'm, you know, I get a lot of flack. I grew up in strip clubs, right? I mean, I was married to a stripper. I, you know, my past couple of last girlfriends were dancers I look at him in a totally different aspect than a lot of people may, but I, I get a lot too. of flack for that. Oh, I oh do he's too. the guy strippers. Oh, he's this and this and this. Listen, some of those strippers are some of the most intelligent, business-minded females you will ever meet. Yeah. So don't judge them by you know thinking just because they're pretty they're not smart because a lot of them are. Oh but you yeah. Got a lot of them that are that are mean too. So oh, yeah. going back to Johnny Depp. So that's just human nature right there, but I can be who I am right now. And yeah, I do movies about the underworld. Uh, I write books about the mob, you know, um, other shows I'm doing evolve around crime, but I look at it as I'm the storyteller, right? I'm not promoting it. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just telling you the story. Yeah. You know, don't shoot the messenger, but right. I get to be me doing right. it. And if a lot of people don't like it, 
you know, I lose a lot along the way, but those I don't care about. Because if I got to be fake to have to be your friend or to hang out with you, you're not anyway. my type of person anyway. Exactly. Nobody's accusing Martin Scorsese of being in the mob, but they love everything he does when he puts something out that's mob related for sure. <laughs> He's gangster as hell, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Any guys that can do what he's done, that's gangster as you can be. Gangster to me has a whole different meaning than what it may have to somebody else. Yeah. You know? No, what he, could put, business, what he could put in that screen is uh, is awesome. You know, for oh, man. Go back to Taxi Driver in these young days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but those guys, you know, you have guys like come along a few in a lifetime and yeah. then in a generation, you know, Pacino. Go back to Serpico. Uh, what was the one where he was the bank robber? I mean, these guys paid uh, their dog dues. day afternoon. Yeah, dog day afternoon with the movies that maybe you didn't hear about or not remember. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and you see the the blood, sweat, tears they put into those things, I know. Ciro knows. Most people don't, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, Dave, you came out of nowhere. You look like you're." You know, you're you're doing this overnight. No, I've been doing this for forty years. Yeah. It's just now starting to pay off. You know, right? It's a it's a lot of paying your dues in this business, um, for sure. I mean, I've I've talked with Liz about how she started. She said that she was like picking up trash on a movie set. You know, that was one of her first yeah. gigs. I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere, man. And that's just like even in any if it's not in this industry. When I first started out, well, you know, I was a helper. I was a gopher. Hey, go get me this. Hey, go get me that. You know, now I'm a supervisor, so I'm able to tell other people, you know, what to do. So you got to start, you know, at the bottom in most cases, if you don't have an end, you know, somebody kind of put you at that next level, but then it's up to you. It's your grind. It's your hustle. It's your will, your desire to get to where you want to get to. Absolutely. And I think you're obligated to do it. Like I said, so you, you can look in the mirror after I could have been here a lot sooner if I had been a little more cold blooded and, you know, but yeah. I'm not me. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get it that way. I never hurt anyone to, for financial gain. Right. It's just not, not in me, but um, I think, it, you know, you learn it over time and as you learn it and you get yourself down pat, um, you know, you master whatever it is right. that you're, you're trying to do, you master it. But yeah, I mean, but I'm happy where I'm at as far as, you know, being able to tell these stories and not having had to have lived them. <laughs> right. No. And that's the key. Before we get into some of your books, man, I'm curious because I like to ask a lot of people this because, you know, the mob and organized crime and these figures are so woven into our, you know, society and pop culture. When the Irishman came out, I was following that movie for such a long time, waiting on it to be made. Um, you know, and it was kind of in limbo for years and years when it finally came out, I'm sure you've seen it. What was your take on it? You know, what was your take on the film as a film? And then kind of maybe the truth and lies mixed in. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the stories about Hoffa, we'll, we'll probably never really know. I mean, I heard he's having the laugh last in an Island right now, drinking pina coladas, you know, laughing his ass off just the way he wanted it. I'm dead. I'm gone. Nobody's bothering him, right? They're looking in Jersey. They ain't looking in the islands. <laughs> so, but I don't think the Irishman was factual. No. I mean, I really, my, myself, and as far as the movie goes, for these guys who are at their age and been through what they've been through to pull it off, God bless them. Great movie. Yeah. Um, was it the, the newest, hottest, you know, most gangster movie I've seen in years? No. 
but it was done by the greats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily like all of Picasso's paintings, right? You may like one, you may not like the other. So, but again, it was, it was, it was good to see them all together in an action. Yeah. Kind of, uh, I mean, obviously I hope those guys going to live, you know, many more years, but kind of like a one last hoorah for kind of those original ones of, of movies that we've discussed, such as Scarface and Goodfellas and stuff like that, for them all to get back there for, you know, Robert now yes. to be on screen together. Um, it was good. And I don't even know if I 100% classify The Irishman as a gangster film. I think it's kind of more in the political realm of films. I mean, it's yeah, got gangster yeah, undertones for sure, but right. I think I would almost put it in a political film type situation uh hey you can't beat having larry mazza play the hitman who shoots albert anastasia yeah that's priceless right there (laughs) you can't make that up he's coming on our show in a few weeks and i'm gonna talk to him about that particular scene and how he enjoyed getting that role there that's that's pretty i interviewed another guy from there um i forgot what role he played but it was robert fanara he was in the sopranos um, I want to okay. say it wasn't the blade. Uh, I can't, I know he was in there when, when they were bringing Sharon to meet Harvey Cattell, which I think he was playing with Angelo Bruno. He was the, he was a taller gentleman. I can't remember the character he played, but he was an Irishman. He was a fantastic actor and he was great in Sopranos as well. Um, that's probably yeah, one of my all time TV great, shows. A lot of great guys that have been in, you know, been around the block in those right. movies from Bronx tell, Goodfellas, Sopranos. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, there's really some good actors and, and people in there. And that's um, what I was saying. You were talking about, you know, your books. What type of books have you written? Because all this stuff has always interested me. And like I said, it's just so woven into our pop culture. You can't help but to kind of dive into it. Well, this is the last one that I finished. I've got two more coming out this year, maybe three uh, if I hustle it up. Uh, this one is an amazing story that is called Dr. Minch. And it's play on the Jewish name for a uh, nickname for a good guy. He's a minch, but mm-hmm. this guy's really evil. Um, the story is about a psychiatrist who goes insane, but nobody knows but him. So and now instead of helping people, he's using all the info he has on judges, cops, people that were his patients against them. And he goes, he wants to become this criminal uh, mastermind. So he pisses off the mob. He pisses off the feds, the local police. They're all out to get him. He has two Russian strippers as his hitmen, so to speak. They chill in jacuzzis, drinking champagne in a penthouse, planning their, their next jobs and hits. He uses drones. Um, Larry Maz is, uh liked it. He, he, he's uh, seeing if he can't make something happen with that on the film scale out, out well, west. Up well, you just sold me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a fictional thing. And the funny thing was I wrote my first book two years ago. And it was just a bio about my father growing up around him, what it was like. And it went to number one in Amazon. I actually beat out Pablo Escobar's autobiography that came out at the same time Mm -hmm. by his son, I believe it was his son. And then he beat me out and he took over one. But for a minute, I was on Amazon and organized crime biographies, number one, baby. (laughs) Uh, So because of that, these guys from New York contacted me and, um, they said, Dave, we've got this idea about the psychiatrist. One of them was a psychiatrist. And they go, and they told me the idea. And I said, all right, I'm on. So then I wrote this one and I put this one out. So we're going to try to make a movie TV series out of that. Um, Fat Dave Gambino Capo was mm-hmm. my first book about my dad. Um, that one's pretty much a historical 
chronological order of things that went on when my dad started, you know, when I first met him, those type of things. Mm. But that's all a true story. Uh, but I've got a couple of doozies that the stuff that I do are all on that level of a of a different kind of Stephen King. I like to think because right. they're not your average stories. I'll send you a copy of Doctor Minch. You oh, can yeah. check it out. You see what I mean? Absolutely, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I just sent one to uh, a friend of uh, of mine. He 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 liked it. He was surprised by it. Um, but growing up in Miami, you, you learn a lot of. Um, things that you can use in storytelling that keeps people interested but oh, at the I same bet. time they're hard they may be hard for some people to believe but they're true and mm-hmm. they actually happen and um that's what i do i'll take things that really happen and then i'll put them into stories and make it work you know as a fiction sometimes or whatever but uh, i think that was my purpose here and that's why i never went the other way was right. to be a scribe one of those right. guys that tell stories from the past to the future. Right now. Well, I mean, you're doing your thing, man. You're plugging right along. And like you said, you're able to look at, you know, get up every morning, look at yourself in the mirror and be happy with who you are and you know, where you're at in life. And that's, you know, I think when me and you were talking, you had a quote and I may misquote you and I I hate it if I do, but it was, and I, it really kind of resonated with me. You said, you know, if I die tomorrow, I've, you know, done about 98% of the things I want to do. And it's true. I'm in no hurry to go. Right. Uh, the last 4%, 5% is probably the most precious. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done most of what I wanted to do and, um, and I didn't hurt too many people along the way to do it. So yeah. Well, I like what I see well that's another yeah. episode there folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, look, man, I, I can't tell you how glad I am that you came on the show and, and shared this story with you. I've been reading up on you and reading up on your dad. And like I said, it was stuff on your dad was hard to find. So I was just like, well, you know, there's no better person to go to than like we said earlier, straight to the person that probably knew him the best, you being his son. And I'm glad you come on the show and shed some light on him. Glad you shed some light on your stuff. And again, kind of like Ciro, you know, you you're laying it out there that these kids don't have to choose that life. There's other stuff you can do. There's other stuff you can get into that can get you. Like we've said the same notoriety, the same popularity amongst circles of many people. Like a lot of times these gangsters, they were glorified. You know, when you got to a certain stature, a lot of people loved them. But you know, again, that age old question, was it love or was it fear? You know, right. That's a thin line, but I mean, you know, everybody loves a true, huh? a true blood gangster guy. I know told me one time, he goes, if I can't get respect, I'll take fear every time, Absolutely. but fear gets you killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fear will get you killed. And yes, the young, the young people today have to realize if you're going to do that kind of thing, do it as an actor, do it as a producer, do it yeah. as a performer. Be gangster, be a gangster artist with some of the most gangster artwork you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but the days of shooting and robbing and stealing and those days are long over because one, you're not going to get away with it. And two, you, you really don't want that on your conscience. A lot of those guys are so unhappy, even though they have everything they set out to get because they know how they got there. Yeah. You know? And then some guys just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't and care. And the worst ones you got to worry about. <laughs> Those are the ones, right? Exactly. But thank you for having me. 
It's been a pleasure. I've really uh, enjoyed this. Yeah, I have two man trips down memory lane. Got to talk a little Scarface, a little writing, a little organized crime. You can't ask for much better. Um, we're going to um, put some links to some of your books here in the show notes for our uh, listeners to go maybe pick up if they want to get themselves okay. a copy. Have you got anything working that you're trying to drop maybe in the future that we can be on the lookout for? I know you got a ton of stuff Absolutely. out there. What's that? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got club TV launching the end of this summer. Okay. Club TV dot me, M E. Uh, and that's going to be a 24 hour feed. You can play it at your birthday parties at the home or like a lot of clubs in South Florida used to do tune in and feed it through your, your business on, on the screens. And it'll be 24 hour music, just like MTV was originally, except we're going to have nightclub footage, uh, past, present and future, uh, segment. So it's going to be even more exciting than MTV was back in its day. I've got a, a, a story called Howlin' Back coming out and it's all about people that did go down the wrong path and how they turned their lives around and, uh, redeemed themselves. Uh, whether it be in the entertainment business or writing or just, you know, successful businesses. Um, somebody told me one time, do what you love to do. And then it's not like work. And it's so true. You know, I love to write. I love to talk, you know, so I love cameras and being around production. So, so for me, that was the path, um, the alternative path, but absolutely. That's uh, that's 100% correct because everybody kept telling me, you know, when I started getting into this podcast game, you know, I haven't been in it even a year yet. And it's, it's grown significantly. I've got, you know, guests lined up. I've got a whole backlog of shows that's already been completed. And everybody was like, you know, you're going to, thank you. Uh, and everybody was like, you know, you're going to get burnt out. And I'm just like, you know, is it work? Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's work. But at the same time, I enjoy it. Like I look forward to every interview I've had the, the after effects, you know, the editing and shit like that kind of gets on your nerves a little bit, but every interview portion, I've not looked bad to a single, you know, been like, Oh man, I got to do this today. I've not felt that way. Not one time for every, any interview I've had. And it's, you know, it's yeah, like well, you said, I've, I've been a talker anyway, all my life. I love to talk about film or wrestling. I can, I can almost hold a conversation with anyone, no matter what their background or you know, what their likes and dislikes are, I can probably hold a conversation with them. So to me, it's become a passion and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, if someday I can, you know, make a living doing this, like you said, it'd be, you know, like not working at all. Well, I, I've heard nothing but good things about, about you. And, uh, I've liked the shows that I've seen. They've been awesome. And you remind me of what they call, um, in the entertainment business as a natural. And that's someone that just, they just a natural, you know, just like the name implies. And that's how you come off. And the guys that succeed, Johnny Carson, yeah, Arsenio Hall, Jerry Leno, they're all natural. Yeah. You know, they've got that. So well, I so certainly I appreciate it, man. That means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. And you got a new viewer uh, for me. I'll be watching from now on too. <laughs> well, we're glad <laughs> to have you aboard. Listen, Dave, I can't, like I said earlier, man, I can't thank you enough for coming by the show. Um, you know, one thing we do close out with, uh, you know, at the end of every show, we like to ask people, especially if they've kind of had these ups and downs, you know, from childhood to now, is there anything at all you would change about your childhood or, you know, adulthood, those 14, 15 year old years, or are you more of the mindset of what you did then has led you to where you were now? So you're not changing a thing. Yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Maybe be a little nicer in my younger days. I was, you know, a hothead. I wasn't as nice as I could have been to certain people. Those are really the only regrets I have is when I look back and I think, you know, 
could have been a little nicer to that person in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I hate that feeling, you know, because you can't go back, you know. Uh, But other than that, no, there's not much I would change. I'm so grateful I got to know who my parents are. I'm honored that I got to meet Frank Sinatra and he even thought about adopting me. That <laughs> that's like a woo for my myself. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm happy uh who I am, where I'm at, and hopefully where I'm going. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll definitely be uh along for the ride watching you, man. You got some great stuff lined up, and I'm looking forward to seeing you succeed in, in everything that you're doing, man. I wish you guys zero down there, everybody in Florida this that's grinding away. I, you know, I wish you guys nothing but success. Thank you. God bless you. I wish the same to you, Wade. Look forward to shooting, knocking down a couple of beers and shooting some pool. Absolutely, you my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I am Hollywood Wade. That was Dave Acavetti. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of Crime and Entertainment. Dave, we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless you, brother. You too. Have a good night. Well, boy, oh boy, what an episode that was. I hope everyone enjoyed that with Dave Acabetti. Go out and pick up his book about his late father, Fat Dave Gambino Capo. That is going to be an interesting read. I've already got my copy on the way. I'm looking forward to his other books, too, that he's got dropping here soon. Looking forward to what Dave has in store. I can just tell you by talking to this man, folks, he is a visionary. He's going to put some things together. Maybe I'll get a chance to work with him on some projects in the future. We've got a few things going here at Crime and Entertainment that could possibly lead to some shows in Miami, and hopefully we can get up with Dave and maybe do something on his father. That would be absolutely fantastic he's a great guy and whatever he puts his hands on folks i gotta believe it's gonna turn into something great much like his partner down there Ciro DiPaggio, who's got the mob king going you know those guys they're they're from the streets they know the streets but they're showing you people a different way you can do it you can turn it in to something positive and i like that conversation that me and dave had we we're talking about working in radio and entertainment Doing something like that, the doors are open for you just like they are in the mob. As I was telling and sharing stories with him, you know, coming up, my time in radio, I never had to pay to get in clubs. I never had to pay to, you know, eat at certain restaurants. And it wasn't because people feared me or anything like that. It was just, you know, entertainment courtesy. You know, the breaks that you got when you were in that industry is astronomical. People don't realize it. You think of how much money you would save if you were a, you know, a younger guy, middle-aged guy. You didn't have to pay to get in bars. You didn't have to pay for drinks at clubs. You didn't have to pay to get into movies. You had free, you know, passes for restaurants. That's a lot of money you're saving there, folks. So, you know, the entertainment industry, like Dave said, is about as close to being in the mob as you can get without actually being in the mob. Now, downloads. We are looking so good on the downloads. I think we're past like 70,000 now. Show is really starting to pick up steam. If you haven't followed us on the YouTubes, please go over there and do that. All of our interviews, if you're an audio listener, all of our interviews are on YouTube uploaded with our guests, Crime and Entertainment. Go over there, give us a like, subscribe, and follow over there. Comment back. We comment in the comment section. We uh, talk with you guys about the episodes and kind of bounce things back and forth. Over on the social medias, go like us on Facebook. You can go follow us at Instagram as well. We're on all the major social medias, and we comment back on there as well. If you have anything you know, you'd like to say or ask, or if, or if you have a guest you would like to try us to reach out to and get on the show, we'd be more than happy to try to put that together for you. Uh, we're just having a blast here at Crime and Entertainment. We've got big things on the horizons. 
possible show we've got our hands in. So really, really looking good here. Uh, I'm having a blast doing this. I hope all you guys are enjoying it as well. But unfortunately, today we are out of time. So I am Hollywood Wade. That was Dave Acovetti. Until next time on Crime and Entertainment. Thank <laughs> you.